ಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮಹಾಮ
uh, its radical wholeness, which is one of the first ones that come in the list. There's a list of whatever, 30 something, radical this, radical that, radical guidance, radical communication, radical whatever, wholeness in this case. So it, it will we will be talking today about the idea of how to integrate holiness, to make a play of words between wholeness and holiness, how to integrate holiness with humanity. Mm -hmm. no? Integrating whole, whole, holiness and humanity, that's what I like to refer to as wholeness. So as as Gaudiya Vaishnavs, we want to be whole, a whole people, wholesome, complete people, not just like discombobulated or dysfunctional or amputated beings. But on one side we speak about super transcendental things, but on another side we are incomplete as on on a on a, ba on a more basic level. So ideally, our our practice is not so only about being transcendental and spiritual, but not losing our humanity in, on our way, so to say. We, we don't want to reach our goal uh, having lost all our humanity on the, on the way, so to say. And we won't reach our goal <laughs> doing that. <laughs> That's my point. No? It's not that we will reach the, the pearly gates, the, goal, the, the, the doors of Vaikuntha, completely inhuman, and we'll be said, sorry, you cannot enter like that. We won't reach those gates in that way. No? So, so it's very important to <clears throat> to integrate. No, if we don't integrate, we disintegrate. No? You have this expression: "It's disintegrated," which is the opposite of "it's integrated." And so, integration. If you don't want disintegration, then we are for integration. <laughs> and integration has a lot to do with. Uh, giving everything its proper place everything has its proper place in krishna consciousness everything nothing needs to be rejected in bhakti but everything has to be accepted from the proper perspective which in one sense can be more challenging sometimes it's, it may be easier for us like give me a long list of what i need to reject what i need to accept and i do it and that's it, I'm saved. <laughs> but what if the proposal is, you don't need to reject anything, but you need to accept everything from the proper perspective. So that means, oh, then I have to acquire the proper perspective <laughs> to the point that is so proper that everything can be part of that. Wow, that's beautiful, but that may be challenging sometimes. <laughs> it may be easier to say, give me a long list of things that I have to stigmatize and criticize and reject and oh, that's bad and that's more black and white that's easier but in the beginning we may receive a little bit like that the do's and don'ts in bhakti <laughs> how we may just feel okay i'm following this i'm doing that i'm avoiding this that's it right right and the wind will say no <laughs> we are just warming up <laughs> no. So yeah, we may begin to we may begin to acknowledge colors. In first, the first two colors we may learn from the whole. How do you say in English? Spectrum is black and white. <laughs> okay, there's something called black. There's something called white. I'm a black and white person, but in time it's like, well, yeah, there is black and white, but there are shades of black. <laughs> 
there are shades between black and white. You have like 265 varieties of gray. I want to speak of other colors, then let's talk about green. And <laughs> so my point is in the beginning of our our life, we may be more black and white oriented. So tell me what to do, tell me what not to do, tell me what's the what's in the white list, tell me what's in the black list, and who is in the black list? <laughs> who is in the black the white list? Who is legal, who is not legal, who I can listen from, who is completely who is bog bogus and bona fide, no, mm -hmm. those two words, no. The blacklist, the one, the white list. <laughs> but in time, we start to realize, as we were talking yesterday, it seems that life is is multicolor. It's not black and white. No? It's, there's a wider spectrum, wider nuance, wider possibility of things that can be all or many of them correct while being different. So again, we need to integrate. That's going back to my point. Back is about integration. Integration, how everything can be everything that exists, just philosophically speaking, whatever exists is an energy of Krishna. And all energies are in the service of the energetic source. Technically speaking, Krishna is called Shaktimam, which means the energetic. So Shaktimam and Shakti energy, the potent and the potency. So there is God, the potent, the energetic source, and whatever exists, whether it's matter, whether it's us, <laughs> all that are different energies. Maya Shakti, Tatasta Shakti, Sarup Shakti, Shakti Shakti Shakti, but all the Shaktis are connected to Shakti Mam, to the center, to the energetic source, and all Shaktis exist in the service of that. So our challenge is to recognize that. Everything exists. If everything that exists is in connection to Krishna and is in the service of Krishna, in one sense, nothing is bad. <laughs> the only bad thing is the lack of awareness, if you want to put it bad. No? The only problem is not matter. Matter is not the problem. The problem is when we misconstrue matter as what is for what is not. Mm -hmm. And we think in terms of this is bad and we have to reject and we have to renounce and we have to escape and we have to whatever. And sometimes spiritual life ends up being, as I put in my book, an evacuation plan for the afterlife. No. This is all about no, practicing Krishna consciousness, running away from this horrible place as soon as possible. <laughs> While this world is an energy of Krishna. No? How can you call energy of Krishna horrible? <laughs> the only horrible thing may be our the way we are looking at that <laughs> the, the dust in our own lenses but reality ultimately is, is beautiful Vishwam Purnam Sukhayati Prabodhananda Saraswati will say the whole universe is an abode of bliss if you have the proper eyes to see if you have the proper eyes to see Technically speaking, there's no need to go anywhere. Which is, it may be a little bit revolutionary if we have an orientation of, again, evacuation plan orientation. Like the goal of my practice is to leave this place. <laughs> and what if we make full circle and it's like the goal of my practice is not to leave this place, but to love Krishna starting in this place. I don't need to go anywhere else to love Krishna. 
if I think I need to leave this place in order to love Krishna, then I will never love Krishna because I start to love Krishna wherever I am. And that's this place, so to say. If I don't learn to love Krishna wherever I am, what guarantees that I will be loving Krishna in some other place? It's not that just by being thrown into another place, I suddenly love Krishna. I'm here, I cannot love Krishna because I'm here. But if I'm thrown there, I will love Krishna. It's like if I take a plane and land into Greenland, I will be a different person. No, you are still the same person. <laughs> Unless you do what you need to do to be a different person, whether here or in Greenland or anywhere else. <laughs> so, so bhakti is not about living this world. Of course, sometimes we find some statements in that. But the point is, what's, what's this world, actually? This world actually means, refers more to material consciousness. It's not so much about planet Earth, so to say. <laughs> hmm? Like uh, some time ago, I was someone posted something like, there is no love in this world. And I asked, okay, like, whom you follow? No, the person, oh, I follow Srila Prabhupada, whomever, I don't remember. Okay, so you agree that he had love? Yes. And he was in this world. I mean, he was on planet Earth with us, so... You can say there was love in this world. And, and it's like, yeah, but he, he was in another state of consciousness. So then what you are talking about is states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's not about the geographical location, devoid of love or with love. It's about where is where are we in our awareness? That means we are in this world, if you want to call it like that, in the other world. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's why Prabhupada call it Krishna consciousness. It's a state of consciousness. No, it's not so much where you are physically. He himself, as I always said, when he went from India to the West, many people were asking him, why are you leaving Vrindavan? You are 69. This is the time that most people come to Vrindavan <laughs> to stay till they die. And you are leaving Vrindavan. It doesn't make sense, they say. But actually, they didn't understand that he was not leaving Brindavan, but he was extending yeah. Brindavan everywhere else. So, and, and that people who was living physically in Brindavan, because they didn't have the proper ambition to appreciate that Brindavan is a state of consciousness, in one sense, they were not living in Brindavan, <laughs> as substantially as someone like Prabhupada was, or other examples. So my point with all this, again, is <clears throat> just to not lose sight of our main theme today. <laughs> Bhakti is not about rejecting. Uh, Bhakti is about embracing, integrating in Bhakti. In the words of Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur will be, everything is potential paraphernalia to be offered in the service of Krishna. He said that. Whatever you find on your way in this world, it's an energy of Bhagavan, and therefore it can be offered to Krishna. It should be offered. You, you should, that's your duty, to connect everything with that consciousness, Krishna consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes everything. This world, our body, our mind, psychology, emotions, humanity. So we want to be a whole person. No, we don't want to be a person with a whole. 
<laughs> I want to be whole ourselves, complete. Yeah, we want holiness, purity, sanctity, transcendence, but without doing away with, with humanity. We're doing away with that thing that is so crucial for our, especially for our bhakti project, for our prospect as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. So let me share a brief section from my book that I describe officially radical wholeness in that part. Um, I have the PDF here, so I can read from here. It says, it's in page 70. Although we shared something about that yesterday, although being itself a personalist tradition, contemporary Gaudiya Vaishnavism sometimes presents the opposite in the form of various shades of disguised impersonalism. This expressed through a lack of human sensitivity and psychological balance, which includes emotional atrophy and endless types of unaddressed abuses. We need to become whole and human once again. We need to become individuated participants in our tradition. And especially and gradually, we need to become edifying elders. We call this radical wholeness. So... Of course, then I, I try to expand on that in the chapter on individuation and even vulnerabilities. Or there are complete chapters trying to excavate what does it mean to be whole. Uh, but I, I wanted to make that point. No, we, we don't only want holiness, we also want wholeness. Mm-hmm. And wholeness includes holiness. Mm-hmm. And ideal holiness should include wholeness also. <laughs> Ideally, we shouldn't see the two of them like talking about the two different words but in one sense they should be if you want you can combine wholeness with ho- with holiness as holiness we can make a new word no holiness mm-hmm. no <laughs> the integration of the two because if not again we we, we may think about transcendence we, we use the word many times transcendental transcend transcending transcendence uh, so it can be a noun, an adjective, a verb. No, trans- in every direction we have transcendence, transcendental, transcending. But if we think about that just as leaving behind or rejecting, because sometimes we think like that, trans- tra- you have to transcend that. <laughs> and many times we understand, okay, I have to put that aside or I have to reject that. Instead of transcending means integrating. You don't need to reject. You need to make that part of the whole equation. Like, for example, suffering. <laughs> All of us suffer in one way or another, as we said yesterday. But we don't need to reject suffering. We need to integrate suffering in the form of we need to learn to suffer. We don't need to stop suffering. We'll suffer even in Golok Vrindavan. When you love, you suffer. But that's a different type of suffering. Sri Radha suffers in separation from Krishna. She feels she's about to die. That's suffering. (laughs) They suffer way more than us in one sense. When you love, unless you you love, you don't know what's suffering about actually. Sometimes we think, oh, I suffer so much. But if we live just in a very selfish, self-centered, narcissistic Mm -hmm. life, we don't have a clue what's real suffering. Mm -hmm. When you start to love, when your heart opens and you become really sensitive, <laughs> then you know what's suffering. <laughs> but when you suffer in love, 
it's a different quality of suffering. There is a sweetness to pain, as contradictory as that may sound. <laughs> because again, for our logical system, it's like, no, no, it's not possible. How can be suffering in pain? Are you masochistic, Maharaj? What's going on here? No, no, there is suffering. There is sweet. There can there can be sweetness in, in pain. So let's see. The Maharaj used to quote a poem by by Shelley, a British poet. I don't recall the poem by, by heart. I'm sorry to say, but he basically says something like that: like our sweetest moments are tinged with with a flavor of of some suffering. No? Uh, and, and I give you a few examples so you don't think I'm absolutely crazy. Maybe you already think that, uh, whatever the case. But, <clears throat> for example, compassion is a type of suffering. When you are compassionate with someone, you are compassion means suffering with. Passion means suffering, com means with. So if you are suffering and I, I become compassionate with your situation, I suffer. But it's a suffering in love, in empathy. It's a suffering that is open in my heart. So there, in that sense, we can say this: it's positive, it's necessary, it's good, it's desirable, it's sweet. <laughs> or bittersweet, if you will. <laughs> Still there's sweet. Or, or sometimes, I don't know, you may be reading Ramayana, the story of Brahmachandra. There is so much suffering there, <laughs> so much tragedy, and, and someone is like sent to the forest, and this person dies, and this separation happens, and kidnapped, cities, kid, and whatever. And whenever something is solved, something new happens. You no, know? like okay, finally, whatever. <laughs> they are married. Ram and Sita are married. Go into the forest. Okay, finally they are having relatively good time. The forest seat is kidnapped. Well, finally, Sita is recovered. They're back in the kingdom. Sita is exiled. I mean, Sita received a good part of the whole thing, as you can see. But, of course, that's not a joy a celebration for Ram either. No? So my point is, but at the same and so you may be really enter into it, studying it, listening to it, and you may be reading and crying no? because of identification with the story, the narrative. So imagine you are reading Mahabharata, uh, Ramayana, or Mahabharata for that case. You are really into the story and suffering, crying. And I just come along and I say, like, why are you crying? Give me that book. Stop crying. <laughs> and you will be like, give me that book back. <laughs> I want to continue crying. <laughs> and it's like, are you crazy? Said, no, no, no. You don't, underst you don't understand what's going on. This is a different type of crying. It's another set of tears. Now, there are different sets of tears. <laughs> so we can cry from one place. We can cry from another place. We can cry out of ignorance and frustration and selfishness. We can cry out of compassion, empathy. We can cry out of genuine emotion, ecstasy. I mean, there are so many of, of, of repentance. So many things can happen. No? So we have to be, again, very careful not to be black and white. No? Suffering is bad. This is good. There's so much nuance to everything. So I'm saying all this again, don't lose sight of the main theme, <laughs> because our transcendence includes suffering. Again, it's not about reject. Transcend suffering doesn't mean reject suffering, stop all forms of suffering, but learn to suffer or learn to whatever, because nothing needs to be 
rejected. Some last year I met, um, I, I told that a few times already. I met with Radhanath Swami in, in Alachua. <coughs> we talked like a few hours. And at one point he mentioned we were talking about something like that, and he told me that once one story with Prabhupada, the one devotee came to him and told him, Prabhupada, for your sake, I'm willing to reject everything. So the devotee came with this orientation of rejection. No, like for you, I reject everything, which is still a negative orientation. Instead of for you, I'm willing to offer this positively. It's more for, for you, I'm willing to reject everything. There was one good intention, of course, but Prabhupada wanted to, to refine the, the product, so to say. So Prabhupada said, the only thing you need to reject is the idea that you have to reject anything. <laughs> so he used the same idea of rejection and, and, and gave the full picture. You are thinking about rejection. There's one thing that you have to reject, the idea that you have to reject anything. <laughs> Because again, Krishna consciousness, he will say, it's not the science of detachment. Krishna consciousness is the science of attachment to Krishna. Mm -hmm. By attaching to him, naturally, we get detached from the wrong perspective of seeing things without Krishna. That's basically the, the only thing we need to get detached from, seeing things in without a relationship with Krishna. That's the only thing we need to get detached from that wrong perspective. Mm. But apart from that, no need to reject anything. Mm. So our sense of transcendence, that's my point, is has to include humanity. We want a, trans, an, a human transcendence, so to say, or, or a transcendental humanity, as you may like to put it. Because if we neglect this, we may neglect our humanity and in the name of being transcendental we end up being inhuman and i've seen that a few times and i'm not saying i'm free from that but sometimes we we can overemphasize a transcendence without enough emphasis on humanity and we end up being inhuman and we have great potential to be inhuman as humans <laughs> i mean there's no other species with the greatest potential to be inhuman than humans. <laughs> in fact, we only use that term inhuman in relation to people in human bodies, in human bodies. No? You won't say to a dog, what you did was inhuman. No? Oh, that bird is behaving inhumanly. No. Only humans can be inhuman. Which means we are not being what we are supposed to be, basically. We are not attending our own Speech. And of course, you can you can tell me, okay, Maharaj, but to be human is also an upadi. In Sanskrit, upadi means like a false designation. It's a temporary identity. The soul is not human ontologically. The Atman is not human. Someone can say, okay, human is just a, a dress, a variety, a species, a form of life. So why, why so much emphasis on being human? If at the end of the day we are not this body, <laughs> we have human body, we are not this body. If at the end of the day we are we are souls, the soul is not human. The soul is not uh, dog, animal, plant, mineral. The soul is soul. Sati, Ananda, and so on. So why so much emphasis on being human? I'm bringing myself the Purva Paksha, no, the 
the opposing argument just to make the presentation hopefully a little bit more clear and while we agree with that we will say okay the soul is not human but <laughs> there comes the important point in our tradition in particular go to Vaishnavism the ultimate goal we want to attain includes humanity our ultimate identity in the Leela will be human in Vrindavan, in Navadvip. So the soul is not human, and this may be a little bit more technical in terms of how Bhakti operates in the Jiva, but the soul is not human, the Jiva is not human, but when the Jiva is, becomes embedded with Bhakti, eventually that gives rise to a particular spiritual identity which will be human, spiritually, purely perfected, and purely human, fully human, fully human and fully divine. I mean, that's what we call in Sanskrit Nara Lila. That's the Lila of Krishna. Nara Lila means, in the words of Prabhupada, human-like pastimes. And human-like doesn't mean that, what does the like mean in that expression? Human-like. It's like, oh, it's quasi-human. It's not human, it's human-like. It's pseudo-human. It's not, no, no, it doesn't mean that. Human likeness is fully human, but it's also fully divine. Which again, it may be difficult for us to integrate the two because we tend to think of humanity being human means the opposite of being divine or whatever. But in, in the Leela, both find perfect expression, they are integrated. And the Nara Leela actually, Nara means human. Prabhupada used the word like just to remind us that. Although it's human, fully human, it's fully divine. For me, the like implies fully divine. Nara implies fully human, and human-like means, don't forget it's also fully divine, but it's fully human also. Christians may speak about Christ as fully human, fully divine. We have our own version of fully human, fully divine. So our ultimate goal implies enter into a place that is fully human, fully divine, with a fully human, fully divine identity. So although the soul is not ontologically human, the Atman, in potential, in connection to Bhakti, it has the potential to acquire an eternal identity that is fully human, fully divine. So that's why we are emphasizing humanity here and now. Because as, as Bhaktas, as devotees, where we are now, we are practicing sadhana, with a certain goal in mind and our practice has to be has to correspond in one way with the goal we want to attain so if i want to attain an eternal realm which is fully human fully divine i have to be practicing now in a way that is not contradictory with that you follow my point if i want to be eternally fully human i will be taking care of my humanity now i won't be neglecting my humanity here, becoming totally dysfunctional, emotionally, psychological, by then I will be fully human, fully divine. It doesn't work. So it's also very much in connection to, <clears throat> to who we want to be in eternity, but of course acknowledging who we are here now, which may be a little bit different from our fullest potential. Still, we may be a little bit more uh, broken and messy in our present condition and, and and it's okay it's part of the journey and we have to acknowledge that uh, so in that sense also we have to be human beings as i like to say we, we we don't want to be devotional 
superheroes who want to be devotional human beings. No? Because sometimes we develop this superhero complex or everyone has everything has to be like like perfect and ideal and again over idealization over expectation superhero complex and 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 we know we all have our own struggles but sometimes we we do not talk about that because we are supposed to be perfect and ideal and creates a superficiality that in times is difficult to to sustain so as the saying goes, we are not human beings trying to be spiritual. We are spiritual beings trying to be human. <laughs> One says that's more difficult. <laughs> we are already spiritual beings. No, you're an Atman. You're a spiritual. But trying to be human. <laughs> trying to go through this human experience. Human is not just a body. Human is an experience in a way that corresponds with the eternal humanity we want to attain. Hmm? And this Nara Lila is interesting because the scriptures say, Krishna Raya Thikka Kila Sarbo Tamu Nara Lila Tarabahu Janhara Sarup Bhupa Beshvenukar Navakisho Natavar Nara Lila Rhai Anurup Krishna Das Kavrash Kusana say this Nara Lila is the highest of all Lilas. The lila, the human lila is the highest. All externally sounds seems the most ordinary of all <laughs> to the uninformed eye. It seems like like we say yesterday with the Brahma Vimohan Lila and Brahma Thule. This is ordinary. This is gross. No? This guy's eating with left hand in a picnic. This is not paka, no, that they will say in India. Paka. This is not paka, this is a mess. No, this is ordinary. That's the highest lila. <laughs> so, and that high, the highest lila includes full display of humanity. Humanity in its fullest expression. And, and we need to pay close attention to, to that lila. So we don't misconstrue and think, oh, Krishna lila is ordinary. So many times we receive that caution by our acharyas. Don't approach Vrindavan. Don't think that the Krishna Lila is limited, relative, ordinary. All they may seem so at the distance. No. Like Krishna is, I don't know, stealing, lying, <laughs> crying, afraid from Yashoda. He's tied to a mortar. He's a playboy. <laughs> it's like shocking. If you don't if you don't have proper philosophical education you will think that's that's not transcendental that's ordinary that's whatever <laughs> that's degrading even and there's people who say i love krishna but only the krishna of the bhagavad gita the krishna the upanishadic krishna who speaks to arjuna as a guru but don't talk me about that krishna in brindavan that that's another thing altogether <laughs> but one thing takes to another you know, if you study bhagavad gita properly that takes you to brindavan <laughs> So, so my point is this Nara Lila, that is our goal, includes holiness, transcendence, but includes humanity. So it's a whole Lila. It's a Lila of wholeness. And if you want to attain such a place, we need to be whole in our present situation as sadhakas, as humans. We are not in the Lila yet, so don't we, we, we cannot live our life as if we, as if we are 
gopi gopa and because it's imitation so we have to be authentic and realistic where i am today as a, as a human sadhaka you know, which are the needs which are the situations i'm going through and how to integrate them again which emotions i'm feeling in my particular stage i shouldn't stigmatize those emotions for example it's not like by having this emotion but this is not the highest i know i should be feeling ecstasy but i am feeling something else so this is bad i have to reject this and, and you develop a complete negative orientation toward all that you're feeling because it's not still the highest thing <laughs> but do you think that by that method you will reach the highest thing that won't happen you will reach the madhouse probably. <laughs> mm -hmm. so humanity in our particular situation includes yeah, imperfection limitation frailty and we need to embrace those things. We don't need to shun those things, to reject those things. We have to... There is even a form of that in the Lila. No? There is a form of limitation in the Lila. It's unlimited, but, but externally, Krishna's diet, again, is limited. <laughs> no? That adds charm in the Lila. That adds to the loving interaction. But still, there remains some form of vulnerability there is so much vulnerability in the lila as i try to explain in my book vulnerability is part of the human condition and that's not something bad Krishna is vulnerable to the love of his devotees he's so affected by that he will be as i say he will be seen crying in separation from sirad in the top most vulnerable situation you know, affected by the arrows of cupid so to say you know. He will be def he's defeated in so many ways. He's tied by his mother. <laughs> he's defeated in wrestling by his friends. <laughs> he's completely affected by the arrows of Cupid in, in his romantic affairs with the gopis. So he's vulnerable in every sense of the word. <laughs> There's nothing wrong about that word, just in case. Vulnerability. So if we want to go to a place which is fully human, means fully vulnerable. We have to allow ourselves to be fully vulnerable in our particular situation. Mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge all the different departments of our human experience and try to integrate them, to balance them, as we talked yesterday in our uh, unofficial second, third class, so to say. No? The longest one, world, like three hours, or I don't know how long. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about that, no? about the importance of being a balanced human being. To acquire sattva as the ideal platform to, to go to transcendence. But first you have to reach the airport before going to the plane. No? So sattva means you have to be, be a balanced person. Be in, in, integrate your, your present situation. Be honest about what you are going through. If you have any emotion, you can acknowledge those. If you have any situation in your relationship, try to heal that. First, we have to have healthy relationships. We have to have proper, learn to communicate, to speak with one another. That sounds very basic. <laughs> but, but, but I will say first, we need that foundation. Healthy communication, healthy, healthy listening, learning to listen, learning to accept each other unconditionally. All this is part of being a a proper human being, sensitive. Human ideally means sensitive. That's when, when you say sometimes, like, if, you, if I tell you a little bit, like, 
please be more human. What I'm implying with that, what do you understand by that? No, please be more human, more compassionate, more sensitive, more. So in one sense, that means to be human. Be more that. <laughs> so first we need to, to have a very grounded foundation in all the things. And then we can sit and talk about seriously about the depths of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in the sense that Gaudiya Vaishnavism is such a deep ocean and we can be talking about so many things in so many levels. Uh, there are so many levels of conversations we can have, but also we need to be able to, to go deep into the basics also before trying to talk superficially about higher topics. At least that's my stance. No, I, I, I don't like to go, to rush into the, into the higher realms superficially, touching those things superficially. First, let's go deep into the basics, as deep as we can. Be properly grounded in that, rooted in that, radical root. <laughs> and that rootness, no, that that like grounding gives a proper foundation for whatever comes up. No, the trees goes grows higher, but also grows in terms of root. So we want to 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 reach the the peaks, so to say, of of Krishna consciousness. But the rooting process has to be also <laughs> correspondingly happening. No? As I say, many times the roots are even longer than the the, the branches. You can see. So, <clears throat> so that's an important point. We have to be, Silas Siddhar Maharaj will say, fools rush where angels fear to threat. <laughs> that's a famous line he will invoke. So fools rush where angels fear to threat. Like implying, sometimes we, we want to, another word to translate that in Sanskrit is sahaja. And not to condemn any to condemn anyone like or label you are sahaja, you are sahaja. I mean, who is free from having the tendency on one level or another? So sometimes we are it's a form of how we say in English, escapism. No? And instead of facing, confronting your your actual chapter in life, I want to I want to go somewhere else. Whether it is higher or sometimes it may be even lower. Sometimes we may be ready for something higher but we insist on remaining in a lower chapter in kindergarten like you are ready to leave the pacifier but you got addicted to that and you don't want to to enter into the new stage of life which is without pacifier <laughs> so that's a form of sahaja no in the sense of is you are avoiding responsibility of acknowledging where you should be at present. Mm -hmm. So you have these two varieties of Sahaja. I want to go to a higher place than where I am, or I want to remain in a lower place than where I should be. <laughs> in both cases, escapism. I don't want to confront reality as it is where I am in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> Because, yeah, Krishna Lila, Gulag Vrindavan, Nityanavadu, all these things are beautiful where we want to go. But in order to reach where we want to go, we have to clearly, equally clearly establish where we are, where we are at present. Like you have this GPS system. So you have to put where you want to go, 
but you have to put where you are. It's not enough where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to, I don't know, to a shopping mall or something and you want to reach a particular shop, number 330, and it's a map there, shop 330. But you need a second point of reference, which is you are here. <laughs> because if not, it's like how to reach there. I, I don't know where I am. <laughs> and if only says you are here, but you don't have a clue where to go, it's equally overwhelming. So you need these two points of reference, no? Where you want to go, where you are, and then you can thread the established, okay, from here to here, this is the <laughs> So both are equally important. We have to have a proper integration of the two things. Okay, we received from Shastra this very beautiful and inspiring description of what's the world of love we want to enter <laughs> but also we and, and we receive the method how to reach there but also we need to understand who we are where we are now and that requires lots of sincerity and introspection where i am now it's not enough to say i am in planet earth in a human form of life that's where i am okay that's good First first attempt. Let's go for a second, more specific, and so on and so forth. No. So and that's mentioned everywhere in the scriptures. No? <clears throat> um, you have to first, like Krishna, as we we're mentioning yesterday in the third chapter of the Gita, he will emphasize try to be a balanced human being in, in terms of vocation, try to engage according to your acquired nature. Don't be dysfunctional <laughs> on a social level. Hmm? Or, or the very 10th canto, on the very 10th canto of the, of the Srimad Bhagavatam. You, you have the description of Krishna Lila, but you have so many other things being described before reaching that point no? that include how to be a balanced person in society, descriptions of Varna Ashram or, or being being in sattva, basically, as a human being. Hmm? Or even the, I don't know, the Vedanta Sutra, which again, the Bhagavatam is a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. Vedanta Sutra starts saying, Athato Brahma Jiknyasa. Now is the moment to inquire into the goal of, into Brahman, into this, into, into the Absolute. And Atato means now. So different commentators have said, okay, now means now do you have a human form of life, but also some other commentators add to that. Now that you have studied other scriptures which deal with how to be balanced in this world, you have in Sanskrit the Purva Mimamsa and then you have the Uttar Mimamsa. So Purva Mimamsa is a generic term to refer to scriptures which deal more with you in this world dealing with your acquired nature, and Uttar Mimamsa is the soul the absolute transcendence. So Atato Brahma Jignasa also can mean, now that you have gone through all those texts that teach you how to be a balanced human being, okay, now let's talk about transcendence. Like trying to make clear this point of first having these things in place. So so again, to be whole, as, as Gaudiya Vaishnavs implies, acknowledging our humanity, Embracing it, um, integrating that in the in the context of Christian consciousness, humanity doesn't need to be rejected, but needs to be integrated to the point that it expresses itself in the lila, as you say, Nara lila. 
human humanities there. So beginning from where we are now, for example, as I said before, with our emotions, we have emotions. We don't need to reject our emotions. We just need to, we don't need to sit on our, on, on our emotions. We need to sit with our emotions. There's one quote from Prabhupada. Let, let me share it that I share in my in my book. In this connection, it's very interesting. He says he says as follows. Huh. It's in connection to Dhruva Maharaj becoming angry in one section of the Bhagavatam. Um, which piece? Yeah, here it is. Prabhupada says, <coughs> depending on our level of spiritual advancement or consciousness. We can control emotions, but we should not deny them. Ang anger will continue even in the liberated stage. <laughs> and then he gives the example of, of Dhruva Maharaj. And he says, Dhruva Maharaj is becoming angry, overwhelmed with grief and so on, was not incompatible with his position as a great devotee. It is a misunderstanding that a devotee should not be angry. Of course, this is not a license to be angry all day. <laughs> it, is, it is a misunderstanding that a devotee should not be angry or overwhelmed by other emotions. That's Prabhupada. That's not me. <laughs> I'm just sharing uh, this, this point so we know that, okay, there is, there is a place for these things. No? There is a, we are being given permission to, again, sit with our emotions, not deny them, allow them, acknowledge them, and try to integrate them, of course, in, in a proper place. Because you can be angry, and as Prabhupada is saying, anger is not necessarily a bad thing. Even it's one of the seven secondary rasas in, it, in the Lila that Rupa Goswami described, Rodra Rasa. So you will be angry in eternity. <laughs> of course, it's an anger in the context of the Lila. It's not the same anger that we may experience as conditioned souls, but there is a place for that, for some expression of that. So I can be angry now, and the, the problem is not so much the anger, the problem is what do I do with the anger? Mm. Now, if I become resentful and bitter and end up hating everyone, okay, that was not the idea. <laughs> but if anger comes and I acknowledge that and I recognize, okay, this anger comes as a symptom of a necessity that I have that I was not able to fulfill, so the anger comes as a frustration. Frustra the frustration is telling me that I need. I feel that I need something that is not being fulfilled. So that invites me to be introspective, introspective like, what's that need that I have? Um, do I need actually to fulfill that need? Or maybe I do not need to fulfill, I need whatever. You go into a journey of, of swadhyaya no? or self-study, so to say. And it, all that self-study took you to certain good conclusions, but it all began with anger. <laughs> so in that case, you did a, you, you use anger in a proper way that took you to introspection instead of, again, hate, resentfulness, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we understand emotions do not need to be uh, stigmatized or de denied or condemned. Like, and the same extends to everything else, no? Our emotional body, physical body, psychological body, we need to develop some wholesome, healthy connection with that. Mm -hmm. Everything you ultimately want is Krishna's energy. Don't forget. 
<laughs> even your body is an energy of Krishna. <laughs> so we are expected to honor everything as energy of Krishna, including our body. And we have to be balanced and how to say. This one last point I'd like to mention maybe, <clears throat> which is that I personally, in my opinion, and of course it's not only my opinion, uh, in many sections of our Gaudiya community, there is a lot of emphasis in renunciation, uh, like, like something higher than not being a renounced, a, a renounced person. And I don't agree with that. <laughs> no, I don't think that's that's a teaching. Our teaching is not about becoming a renunciant, a sannyasi, and, and I'm a sannyasi <laughs> in good standing. So I'm not saying this to justify any mess I may be doing. I mean, but the goal of Krishna consciousness is not to become a sannyasi. The goal of Krishna consciousness is to become a pure devo a devotee, develop love for Krishna. If you study the 64 angas or limbs of bhakti that Rupa Goswami described in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, you won't find at any place sannyas, brahmacharya, monastic. I mean, I'm not against that. I'm just saying that's not the goal. I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily higher. It's not that if I have this color, I'm higher than all of you who have the, the other color, so to say. Now, you can attain the goal of life from family life as well. That's in the Bhagavatam. That's in the very conclusion, for example, on the chapter on Grihastha Ashram in the seventh canto. Bhagavatam says you can attain perfection from the Grihastha Ashram. I mean, every ashram is an ashram. Ashram means a shelter. It's supposed to be a shelter. Of course, Bhagavatam will speak about the dark well of family life, <laughs> but that's not about Grihastha Ashram. That has to do with Grihamedi. No? And you can have the dark well of family life and you can have the dark well of monastic life. <laughs> you can adopt a life as a monk, as evasiveness, escapism, as not wanting to take responsibility and just like, okay, I'm a monk and I don't have to work and I don't have chapati, rice and dal every day. And people will give me probably donations because they like, they seem to like this color. This attracts money, it seems, but <laughs> whatever the case, no? So we can have our own version of dark well in each particular ashram. It's not just the Grihastha had that problem, so to say. No? And as I like to say, in eternity, in our tradition, we won't be renouncing. No? If I want to serve Krishna in Golok Vrindavan as a gopi or as a gopa, I won't be, nobody will be a sannyasi in Golok Vrindavan. So do follow my point. So in eternity, even if I'm a sannyasi temporarily here, <laughs> better I don't get too much, too much attached to this because in eternity I will have to drop off my sannyas clothes <laughs> to accept a, a higher sense of identity. No? So I'm not against that, but of course I am in, happy being a sannyasi. It's my nature. I'm okay with that, but the point is we have to be careful not to overemphasize uh, renunciation and make a movement renunciation-centered. Renunciation is not fostering bhakti. In that case, bhakti fosters a certain renunciation, vairagya. Not renunciation in terms of an order, but just detachment from the needs we need to be detached. That's what the Bhagavatam says. Vasudeva, Bhagavati, Bhakti, Yoga, Prayoita, 
Janayati Asubairagyam Janam Tayadahaitukam. By practicing bhakti, bhairagya comes. It's not by practicing bhairagya, bhakti comes. That's not correct. Because I've seen sometimes devotees to thinking, okay, I will be more and more renounced and stop eating and breathing and sleeping and being more and more austere. So I will be more, more of a devotee. And it's not, it's the other way around. No? Try to increase your bhakti, your devotion, your love, your dedication. And proper detachment will come from from whatever you need to be detached. And probably you need to be detached from the idea that renunciation fosters bhakti. <laughs> that goes against the very definition of bhakti. Rupa Goswami says, Anyabilasitashunyam gyan karma adhyanabritam. Anukulena krishnanushilanam bhakti dutma. Uttam bhakti, the bhakti we want to, to pursue, is not covered by gyan. It's not covered by this idea of if I become more, or by or by or no? If I become more renounced, if I do more tapasya, Krishna will love me more, or something like that. I will please Krishna with less eating and less sleep. No, no. That, if that comes, it will come like, like a natural byproduct of, of your bhakti. It's not that Raghunadas Goswami, for example, who was quite austere, <laughs> but he was not like consciously okay. I have to eat less and less. I have. No, no, he was just so absorbed in his bhakti that he forgot to eat. That's how it works. It's not like, okay, tomorrow I will fast. It's not like that. No. From now on, I will sleep less. And It was not a plan he had. It was just his absorption in bhakti became so, 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 so deep that sleeping or eating just disappeared from his map. So we have, as we were yesterday quoting this famous line, like, like smarta vyasatatam vishnur, smarta vyanajatu, chitsarbi bidi visedasur, nisedasur, tayore bakinkara. Always remember Krishna, never forget Krishna. All rules and regulations must serve that principle. So my point with this is, if I try to become more austere, and by that I become more and more like disturbed, and think less and less of Krishna, what's the purpose of that? Well, I will tell you something that may sound like heresy for some, but I don't know, for example, a day like Krishna Janmashtami. Krishna Janmashtami is not about fasting till midnight. <laughs> you follow? That's not the, the essence of Janmashtami. With this, I'm not canceling the fasting. I'm just saying that's not the essence of the celebration. The essence is, absorb yourself in Krishna. And now if someone tells me, Maharaj, I'm so disturbed by the fasting. It's 3 p.m. Still I have nine hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm not thinking about Krishna. I'm just thinking about the 108 preparations that they are preparing. I'm so I disturbed. Probably I will tell to that person, go and eat something and think about Krishna. <laughs> because what's the goal of Reaching midnight, I didn't eat anything, you know, and I'm like completely. But where you were thinking, what you were thinking about during the whole day, oh, just about breaking my fast. So that was not the purpose. Well, sometimes in our tradition, we have near jal, uh, they both do a kadasi without even water. Someone once asked Srila Bhakti Rakshaksi that Dev Goswami, like, what's the essence of a, what's the essence of a kadasi or near jal? I say, like, you absorb so much in. Bhakti that you forgot to eat. Mm. That's the idea. 
I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to do it like that, but the principle is not so much, okay, today I cannot eat pizza, no, because it's a courtesy. Sometimes it's funny because they want to say, okay, today we cannot eat this. So we have to make up for that and end up eating way more fancy than any other day of the month <laughs> to counteract the austerity. <laughs> but the courtesy basically means the day to increase my dedication and love for Krishna. It's not about not doing something. <laughs> we have to be careful not to, to develop this like negative orientation to bhakti. Like sometimes I joke with the devotees, but I tell when they were they are asked about their, the the famous four regulative principles, and for some devotees that's what what's bhakti is about. So if someone asks them, so what do you do as a devotee, and the reply would be, I don't eat meat, I don't take intoxicants, I don't, and so on and so. Forth. So I am asking you, what do you do? And you are replying, what you are not doing. <laughs> so what is your life about? I do not do this. I do not do this, and. I, so you are replying to me in a negative way no? about not doing instead of what you do positively. No? So we have to be careful not to, <clears throat> to craft whole practice or conceive of our practice in terms of rejection, in terms of negative answers, instead of avoiding things, but how we can offer ourselves in a more in the most loving and positive way for the pleasure of Krishna and the Vaishnavas, right? So anyhow, those were some some words in, in connection to to the topic I want to share today, radical wholeness, you know, how we can be more whole, how we can integrate and embrace humanity, body, mind, emotions, everything in, in a higher synthesis, in a higher equation as part of bhakti, because bhakti is not about rejecting, bhakti is not about mukti, about leaving this world, and about condemning anything, but about approaching everything with, with the proper perspective, proper knowledge, proper sambanda, proper relationship. Because if we if we do not do that, we may end up in various shades of impersonalism. No. This is false. Neti neti. Not this, not that. This is Maya. This is false. There's this famous uh, lecture by Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur called From Anartha Nibriti to Artha Prabriti. And he says, if we become too much uh, obsessed with the idea of neti neti, like this is wrong, this is bad, this is maya, and just that's our only orientation, rejecting what is false, say you may end up in Brahman. <laughs> because that's the method of the jnanis. No? Everything is maya except Brahman. No? So neti neti, no, 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 Brahman. Oops, I didn't want to come here. <laughs> so it's a way of making that point. He said that. Now, if we as devotees just limit our practice to neti neti, to what, what's not, what's bad, what's illusion, without adding a positive content, we may end up somewhere else, so to say. So that he said, from an art nibriti to art of prabriti. An art nibriti is get rid of the undesirable stuff, let's put it like that. And, but artha prabriti means acquire the, the real stuff, positively acquire. Not only it's about rejecting what the, the undesirable stuff, but acquiring the desirable thing. So we have also to, to have that side in place, basically. Hmm? So anyhow, some thoughts.
that came today in connection to to this one radical of different radicals of my book on radical personalism, radical wholeness. Maybe later today we will go explore some of, of the other ones. <clears throat> but if you have any questions, something we can have a few some time for that as well. Trivikram Prabhu, yeah. Thank you very much. Very nice. Um, just that last point, because it's fresh in my mind. It's, it's, quite, it's a lot of points I can talk on, but I'm just trying to uh, remember all those points. But this last one is in that pursuit of um, what's desirable. Sometimes we can tend to be just uh, avoiding our humanity because we've got this idea that humanity means the material condition state so avoid that humanity and and um so therefore you know in, in order to get the higher taste we're focusing on our, our sadhana and our um you know hearing questionnaire <coughs> and so many things mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we've still got material desires and a material body and a material psychology, and we can tend to, you know, we're so called pursuing the positive. Is that a, a legitimate way to um, overcome the, the negative? Just to focus on on Krishna, or, and, or this this quest for wholeness? What do you think will be my answer to your question well, yeah, after yeah, after my class? Of course, Krishna can bestow perfection on whomever he wants, whimsically, so to say. <laughs> he can break all rules in that sense, but but there is a certain way of doing things that is more the rule rather than the exception to the rule. So we shouldn't practice our spiritual life like hoping to be the exception to the rule, mm -hmm. so to say. <laughs> no, like, okay, I, I won't work on my humanity. I'm, I will just read... Uh, Krishna Lila forever and remain dysfunctional in everything else, but, but Krishna can do miracles. So he wants, he will do it. Like I said the other day, it's like I won't work because someday I may win the lottery and I may become billionaire. So why work? Probably you will never win. <laughs> it's better you find some work. So in the same way, because also the point is if you say, okay, I, I'll limit myself to only hear. Krishna Lila and to jump to the most esoteric sections and the more detailed descriptions of Krishna's erotic pastimes with the gopis. Let's go to the most confidential thing and that's the highest so I'll go there. But of course the first question is who say that you are ready for the highest? No. I mean, you have to have adhikar, you have to have qualification to, to understand that. Uh, <clears throat> and with this I'm not saying I'm not of the extreme of you cannot, I don't know, read 10th canto yet that's too much if you have proper faith that's what the Bhagavatam is saying at the end of the rasa lila <laughs> so 
So if you have Shraddha, if you have proper faith in this narration, the power of these narrations, Bhagavatam is saying, Hridrogam also pahinotya chirina dhira. The Bhagavatam says, by hearing Rasa Lila, you get rid of lust. If you hear it with faith from the proper source. That's one reason also why Srila Prabhupada also published Krishna book before the whole Bhagavatam. And Krishna book is 10th canto directly. And someone may criticize that. Like, But first we have to go through the first nine. He himself said that. <laughs> but at the same time, he he wanted to make this presentation. Of course, he didn't know if he was going to leave enough. He said those things. But he wanted to make this emphasis. This is so powerful. This Christian, Hearing Krishna Lila is so powerful with proper faith, with proper guidance. But that doesn't mean... It, I mean, if that works for you or for anyone and you feel... I'm balanced, I'm getting purified, everything is fine. I have no, no objection. <laughs> but if you see, an, oh yeah, I I'm, I'm love Krishna Lila, but my relationships are a mess around me and I don't know how to relate to my other devotees and having so many conflicts, probably you should do something else apart from only listening to Krishna Lila. <laughs> because also if our humanity is not fully balanced, who knows how we are understanding Krishna Lila? With our dysfunctional humanity, you read the Lila, which is showing the perfection of humanity. But if you if you are not in your perfection of your humanity, how you are understanding that humanity that is expressed in the Lila? Probably you are filtering your own dysfunctionalities onto the Lila, and you are misreading everything. And we know that our Acharyas many times are preventing us, like, be careful of reading Krishna Lila as something ordinary, mundane, or just projecting your own unresolved childhood trauma in some cases. <laughs> so that's that's also a point for me. Even if someone tells me I, I'm only reading Krishna Lila and I'm fine with that. Okay, I, I want to see the fruit of that. I want to see how the life of that person you know, to see if if that's actually true. Because you can tell me anything. You can say, Maharaj, I'm just reading 10th Canto, Rasa Lila, nothing else, and I'm perfect. Let me see. Let's let's live together for a week and let's coexist with one another. And let's see how 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 actually that's the case. Or if that's the case, great, I will put you a garland on you. But if that's not the case, I will also put you a garland, but invite you to work on another things as well. <laughs> Because the Bhagavatam itself, again, before reaching Krishna Lila, is speaking on so many other topics, like making it clear these things have to be in place as a preliminary foundation before you attempt to just like immerse yourself in the Lila fully. Because we have some scars, we have impressions that we acquired from the past, and that creates certain ways of thinking about things, and that can get in the way of understanding the Lila properly. No? So. So that would be my answer. Extended answer. The whole class was also an answer to that. So yeah. Of course, with this, I'm not saying do not read Krishna Lila until you until and unless you are a completely perfect, integrated, balanced human being. I'm not saying that either, because we may never be that <laughs> on that level. But at least some considerable degree of human balance is required. But as I said before, we can listen to Leela, we can have this clear 
education on, okay, this is the goal I want to attain. This is the ideal where I want to go, but where I am. No? Again, these two points of the journey, where I want to be, where I am at present. The two things can be simultaneously coming to us. No? We're here in the Lila. We are being informed about the nature of the goal, but also we are being informed and educated about the nature of my present situation. So I can approach that goal in a realistic way, no? not in, in my own science fiction idea. Like, oh, I'm almost about to be a gopi next weekend or something. Mm -hmm. I probably we need therapy for a few years first. <laughs> we, never, we never know. Thank you. Just not to lose sight of. <laughs> I hope it's clear. Doesn't yeah, make any uh, sense. Thank you, Marge. That's a really pivotal point that you've just made there because, you know, we do, we always have this kind of like quandary like, okay, well, the purifying process of Krishna consciousness is that the of chanting the holy man, Shrima Bhagavatam, and, you know, worshipping the deities, Ujapa, and um, hearing Shrima Bhagavatam, then we, you know, we have some faith in that, that that is going to purify us, right? So we think, we can think, oh, okay, well, if I do those things, because we may not have such a high estimation of ourselves for being devotees, but we, so we think, oh, if we do those things, then they are so potent that they're going to kind of like cast a magic spell over me and they're going hmm. to make me, because they're so potent. But I think, like, like you're just saying that, but what's going to happen then is if we don't have the wholeness and, you know, the humanity is not there, then we are, what is our perception of Krishna going to be? So in hmm. one sense, hmm. it seems like, you know, it's a bit of a struggle when you think, oh, do I have to really, like, do I have to really um, address that issue in myself? Mm. Why does that issue keep coming up? Mm. Mm. Why why can't I just kind of, you know, it's like if you're making a, a, some sort of potion, it's like, oh, I put a bit more of the goodness like that, overcome that. Mm. And that actually, but actually practically we do see that, um, yeah, you almost feel like you just, you know, you always fall flat. It's like, why does it come up again? You know, mm. This was so amazing. I had this experience mm. and practice Krishna consciousness for so many years. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, thank you for that point. I think that, yeah, that was very mm. clear that then your perception of Krishna. And so then sometimes you might feel, well, Krishna, why do you do this? Why, why you know, why, why do you kind of like, sometimes you're here and then sometimes you're so far away and then I just feel like I've just... It's you know, so new, but actually, when you're talking about that, you realize actually that's his kindness because, like, if you want to have a really dynamic, loving relationship like we've been talking about, then you've got to know the person in truth, isn't it? So, even though that's painful, and then, um, yeah, it's quite interesting because Turukam was reading something the other day, and the devotee was saying, What was it? That finding, finding strength what was it strengthen your weaknesses basically so then when you so your your weakness can be your strength mm -hmm. so therefore if something you know your weakness can be your strength because if you take shout krishna but sometimes you know our weaknesses and our you know our kind of um disappointment can not lead to strength it can lead to a sense of projecting upon krishna that you know he's you know he's kind of coming and going He's not there. He's not your constant, but actually, he's the only constant in mm -hmm. life. But it's like, well, oh, God, he's coming, he's coming. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, we are the ones coming and going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, We are the unstable ones. He's not. He's there. Yeah. He's there. He's willing to be there. He's getting closer than ever, but 
And regarding what you, you mentioned, many interesting points, but one, for example, you mentioned about these different practices we embrace as our main expressions of bhakti. And all of those practices are totally powerful and can bestow perfection in one moment. Now you have all these famous verses, I don't know, sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha, sarva shastra, lava matra, sadhu sangha, sarva siddhi hai, sarva siddhi hai, all perfection, sarva siddhi, lava matra, it can be attained in one nanosecond of sadhu sangha. And you are like, well, I have had sadhu sangha for the last 35 years, and I, sarva siddhi is not here yet. Uh, it doesn't mean that sadhu sangha it was a hoax. It means that still I'm not able to fully take advantage of that. The same with the name. You know? We have so many verses in Shastra just by reciting half a syllable of Krishna's name. Everything comes. And it's like, okay, is that Artavat? Is there an exaggeration? Because there are sections in scripture which are considered for some purpose, something is exaggerated. But one of the 10 offenses to the name is never think mm -hmm. about that when it, it's Shastra is glorifying the name. So again, half a syllable, all perfection. I've been chanting for decades and hours. And not, not to go neurotic also with yourself, mm -hmm. no, but just to re remember, your, remind yourself, it's not that the practices are a hoax. Mm -hmm. It's just that I need to become more and more present and purified and qualified to take advantage of, of the power of those practices. And sometimes part of that is I need to be more balanced in my humanity because sometimes unresolved issues get in the way, mm -hmm. oh, get in the way of my sadhu sangha, my relationship with another devotee. If I have some unresolved relational issue, mm -hmm. I may not be able to fully extract all the potential blessings that can come from relating with another Vaishnava because I have some trauma in terms of relationships and that gets in the way you follow. So, so in that sense, it's not that bhakti is lacking, <laughs> but we may need to fill the container, so to say. Well, sometimes Gorgobinda Maharaj gave you that example. Like Krishna is giving the mercy and we, our heart is kind of a container. But sometimes our container is cracked and has holes. <laughs> so the mercy comes or whatever, whatever helps count, but we are not able to fully like retain that. It it, it it goes away because we have to heal the container, feel the broken pieces. Mm -hmm. If you want to use some analogy, so to say, no. So, so yeah, in that sense, I, I'm emphasizing that. What I'm emphasizing have a balanced humanity, psychological balance. That's not uh, in and unto them that itself. It's just. That will in service of no? bhakti, in service of our, of our ideal. And yes, weakness can be our strength. Failure can be a, the pillar of our success, as they say. No? Because uh, as I like to say, our devot devotional journey many times, how to say, expresses itself in two main ways, many ways, but let's put it two. One, we will have these moments of inspiring hope. Now that we are having some experiences and we are like inspired and so much hope and everything is like jai. No? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is why I join. This is why I stay, whatever. No? And some other moments, we will have moments of 
what I will call, instead of inspiring hope, humbling failure. And it's okay. It's humbling. We are failing. We are falling short of ourselves. We're feeling some lack. But it's humbling. So we need to be humbled. We need to be humble and we need to be humbled. <laughs> so it's a humbling failure. So if, if, if it's a failure that brings me to being humbled, how much is a failure? We call it a failure. Like Mahaprabhu in the second verse of Sikshastakam. That's a very nice example that I always like to quote. Amnamakari Bahuda, etc. First three lines of that verse, four lines has. First three lines, Mahaprabhu is saying, Oh, my Lord, you have so many names. In all these names, all your potencies are there. There are no hard and fast rules to chant your names. Such is your mercy. So he shows gratitude and appreciation, not something very positive. And then comes the last line. But. <laughs> My misfortune is such that I have no taste for this. So, humbling failure. <laughs> but he begins with three lines of appreciation and gratitude. The positive thing. Wow, this is the gift is such incredible. But I'm not yet up to the occasion, so to say. Repentance. No neurosis, not guilt trip, but healthy repentance. Acknowledgement. I have still no taste or not that great taste. And that takes me to a place of humility. I feel I'm failing, but it takes me to a sincere prayer for more mercy. So ultimately, that's success. That's not failure. So yeah, in one sense, those moments of weakness, those moments of acknowledging our limitations can be empowering should be empowering. No. If not, what? We will get depressed. We will get self-centered. Oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm bad and bad and unworthy and you bring the whip and we start a festival of whipping. <laughs> and it's an, it's, it's, I, I, My ego remains in the center. I am so bad. I am so low. I am. I am. It's that, another way of saying I am the best. I am the worst. <laughs> like this disciple once came, you know that story, maybe Sil to Sila Prabhupada. Prabhupada, I am the most falling mm -hmm. of all your disciples. And Prabhupada said, You are not the most anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because he felt you want to be the most something. If you're gonna be the most advanced, at least you want the, the credit of being the most falling. We are not the don't don't try to be the most something. <laughs> so but yeah, there is great potential in, in in failing. Like Richard Rohr, my Franciscan friend, he says, many times we advance more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. We grow more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. It's like, yeah, that's a very wise piece of advice. <laughs> Not... It's not, to, okay, so I will do it it's wrong on purpose so I grow more. That's not the point. But it's but many times we do it right and we become arrogant. I do it right. I'm perfect. I have no mistake. I don't need to change. I'm good. I'm not humbled. I'm like, I did it right. Nobody can say me anything. <laughs> you do it wrong, you're humbled. If you are sincere, you acknowledge that and you grow. So we shouldn't like... Yeah, we shouldn't cancel that avenue no, of 
growing by weakness, growing by limitation, growing by doing it wrong. We shouldn't stigmatize that because sometimes we can enter into that thing that stigmatizing failure. And as I put in my book, we should normalize failure because we will fail. I mean, it's part of life. We will fail. So instead of being stigmatized every time I fail, I will nor normalize in the sense I know that that will happen. It's not that I want that to happen, but it will happen. I know it will happen. So I will welcome that when it happens and try to learn from that instead of just crucifying myself or failing again. <laughs> in one sense, you can describe progress as failing and failing in a, in a higher and higher way. <laughs> committing deeper and deeper mistakes <laughs> still you are making mistakes but you are being more and more refined so to say <laughs> your mistakes now are not as gross as they were 20 years ago but still you are making mistakes <laughs> but you are growing that's one way I'm growing because my mistakes are not as gross as before that's a way of putting it so to say right so <laughs> And as I say, at the end of the day, we have to remember Krishna loves us unconditionally, which means despite our mistakes, despite our, in our weakness, we are loved by him. That's important. Because if not, when you confront your weakness, that becomes like a source of hopelessness. I'm so weak. I'm so limited. I'm so imperfect. What to do with this mess? No hope. But if I remind myself, Krishna loves me in all my weakness, all my he already unconditionally has accepted me. That's a source of hope and empowerment when I'm confronted with that weakness, with that limitation. I'm humbled by that, but also I, I have hope that I can do it. I can make it. <laughs> I'm not hopeless and useless and unworthy in every sense of the term, so to say, right? On the contrary. Yeah, thanks for your words yeah something else before we conclude so marriage theoretical wholeness means that we are facing part of being whole is being having any shortcomings and frailties and mistakes and failures so it seems like it's quite natural to be dysfunctional in that sense <laughs> you know but um you know if we try to be whole in a perfect way, then that's that's um, idealistic, or it's not mm. not realistic. Yeah, so I never say to be whole in a perfect way. No. Just say to be whole. Yes. <laughs> and there's and there, you can always become more whole. Huh? Also, we don't have to put this idea in our mind. Like to become whole means reach that one point of perfection where nothing else can be attained. But it's more like an ongoing process. No, I'm. Today I try to be wholer than yesterday and a little bit more and a little bit more and forever, so to say, integrating, integrating. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, I, I, I'm not trying, in one sense, I'm not saying normalize this functionality, but don't be so surprised when that comes because that's there probably on some level and and and, and we can... I would say we can only work with that in a healthy way if we really normalize that most probably we have something of that. Like we are more accepting that in, in, in not in a neurotic way because if we are too nervous about that, we may not be able to even look at that and, and work on that. 
No? So we have to be humble to realize, yeah, I mean, as, as souls traveling, we are not in Golok Vrindavan, just in case. <laughs> so there are a few things that we may need to work out. No? Like, like once one devotee was complaining to his guru, like Guru Dev, in, in, in the low, in, the Guru was visiting for one week, classical scenario, and the devotee is complaining, like, in our community, there are this situation, this devotee is doing this, and this is telling that, and we have this conflict, this problem, and, and kind of expecting Guru Dev, give the magical touch. And, <laughs> and the Guru replied, like, the only perfect community is in Golok Brindal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> like, trying to say, that will happen as part of, of, I'm not saying just allow that to happen worse and worse, but just also don't be so surprised because we are here working on our humanity and trying to navigate, also to add compassion to that. No? So we can also be more compassionate with each other and understanding and not be so shocked like, oh, that's dysfunctional. Oh, that's an unintegrated humanity over there. That's everywhere. <laughs> so re- relax, no? in one sense. Not relax in sense of evasiveness and laziness, but accept, have more acceptance that that's the norm. <laughs> and on that foundation, let's work on that as best as we can. And be sincere and trust that, of course, Krishna is looking at that and blessing that. <laughs> he will make up for the things that we cannot do ourselves, so to say, fully. You know? Also, we do not have to get into neurotic, like, it all depends on my own effort and it all depends on my own. I mean, we have to work on ourselves and be introspective and do some, but there are so many things that escape our control and capacity and awareness. But if at least we are being honest and sincere and trying to do the best we can, also we have to have deep trust Krishna will fill all, fill in all the remaining gaps, mm-hmm. so to say. No? He can, he knows how to do that. He can, but he also wants to see our part. No, it's, it's not just okay, Krishna, you can do everything, so please do everything. So I have to do nothing. I know, as they say in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. No? So we have to do our part, and He will do His part. He's already doing His part. <laughs> And we have to trust that he's doing his part. Because sometimes we forget that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we try to do his part ourselves. And that becomes impossible. <laughs> so we have to also know Krishna is doing his part. I have to trust that. And I have to do my part. Everything in place and <laughs> move forward. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, for your presence, for your attention. And I think we met again today in the evening. What time? Six, six o'clock we'll see, right? Anyhow, six o'clock, whatever yeah. we will organize, but approx this our time. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sit around in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay. We won't be in We are not here after a number. We are after. Their mercy. Trishi Gornitai Kiza, Sri Harinam Sankirtan Kiza, Sadhu Sangha Kiza, Gaur Primananda, Vanchakalpatarubya Sakti Pasanduke Vacha, Patita Nampava Nebhu Vaishnava Pyunamon, Ananta Koti Vaishnava Brinda Kiza, Gaur Hari Hari Go.